Good afternoon. Well, it's not morning. I see 12.01. I think the clock is there for me. To make sure I don't be too long. But we're grateful and we are thankful for another opportunity. I was here last year around this time. I think it's month of June, July this time last year. And uh, been afforded the privilege to come back. And um, I thank God for that. Thank God for the Macedonia church family. All you have done, this is a great church. Um, I think y'all had church while I was in the back. I can hear somebody up here <laughs> going off. So I guess I don't have to preach that long. I enjoyed the choir, the singing. Um, the melodious voices of those who have been crying out through song to this congregation and for the Lord and to all these preachers that share this place of preaching. Thank God for them. And I thank God most of all for my cousin, double cousin, mother and father's side. That's unusual. Um, but I thank God for Pastor Terry Minor. Come on, give him a hand. I thank God for his wife. Um, she don't say, yeah, give her hands well. She don't say that uh, I'm her husband cousin. She called me cousin too. So I, <laughs> she called my wife cousin too. So we just all a cousin family, I guess. Um, I didn't come on credit. I always like to bless my, you know, constituents, my contemporaries. When I go places, I don't go preach for free. I always bring a gift. And certainly uh, this morning, I bought a gift to my cousin. I don't have an envelope, but this is a check. It'll work. <laughs> wife, come on, baby. Uh, my wife's going to get it. I'm going to put her to work. <laughs> I bought my wife with me this time. Uh, she wanted to make sure that uh, I didn't have no problems. If y'all know what I mean. So she didn't come last time, but I thought she wasn't coming this time, but she didn't know, not this time. <laughs> I have to come and see what's going on. Okay, you're here, you see. I, I won't be long this morning. I want to get all the preliminaries out of the way. And I want to call your attention to the Gospel of St. Luke. Chapter number seven. Now I've been told in the back by the preachers that I didn't know what that mean. YBP. And I said, what that mean? He said, you better preach. <laughs> so I said, pray for me, because you can't preach without prayers. 
And certainly this morning, I solicit the prayers of all of you, not just the preachers, but all the congregation. Because praying and preaching goes together. And I certainly can't stand up here on my own. I need some help. From the Gospel of St. Luke, our Lord's Gospel, if you will, chapter 7. And I'm going to begin reading at verse number 36. And I want to ask that you do me a favor. Uh, All those who are able to stand, stand while we read the word of God. Just in case I can't preach at all, I'm going to read from verse 36 to the end of this chapter, which is verse 50. And there you find these words recorded. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said, Unto her, turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See thou this woman, I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with the tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in had not ceased to kiss my feet. My head would all thou didst not anoint. But this woman had anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, thy faith had saved thee, go in peace. You may be seated. The grass withered and the flower faded. 
but the word of our God shall stand forever. I want to talk this morning for just a little while from the thought, a picture of purpose. Can you repeat that with me? A picture of purpose. In this pericope, this passage of scripture, you will discover that this is one of the most wonderful pictures of the church. Jesus here gives us glimpses of what the church should be all about. When we look at this text, you will discover uh, it brings to bear the anointing of Jesus by a woman whom the Bible calls a sinner. Now we need to explain this text a little bit if you allow me to wax theological because we will find in all four Gospels Jesus had been anointed by a woman. This is not Simon the leper's house in Mark chapter 14, Matthew chapter 26, and in John chapter 12, the beginning verses of those three texts, where you discover the Bible says to us in Mark gospel and also in Matthew gospel, it does not give us the name of the woman, but in John gospel, it says that she is Mary, the mother or the sister of Lazarus and Martha. In this text, this is not Mary. This woman is unknown. She's unknown for a reason because many times in the Bible you would discover that the Bible always have some mysteriousness about it. Everything is never crystal clear. I was just thinking about Paul Tillich in his writing in Systematic Theology, and he defines what a mystery is. He says, a mystery in its truest of sense is that which remains a mystery even after revelation. And we discover that there's many things that is revealed in the text, but the text still remains a mystery. The Bible still remains a mystery. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost remains a mystery. You and I still have some things about us, I don't care how long you've been married, that remains a mystery. It's a reason why things must be mysterious, because what it does, it piques our curiosity. Yeah, we begin to find and search and look to find things that we don't know about one another. The Bible is described as a book of mystery, but there is a revelation because the schematic theme of the Bible is one word, salvation. From the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, it's about salvation. What does that mean? It means that the church should be about salvation. Let me get into this text a little bit because you will discover the Bible said that Jesus now have been bidden or invited 
to go to Simon, watch this, the Pharisee's house. Right off top. It's interesting because Jesus and the Pharisees did not get along. Pharisees and the Sadducees and Herodians, those religious sects of that day and time, did not get along with Jesus because he was radical. And I want to say to the church today, it's no, listen, it's no harm to be radical. It's no harm to change and evolve into something that can save your neighborhood. So you can't save the world until you save your neighborhood. Jesus was radical. So the first thing you will see in this text that Simon the Pharisee's curiosity was piqued. Somebody said curiosity. That's our first point. We must always be curious about life. What did he ask Jesus to come there for? Because he wanted to know a little bit more about him. It was a setup, if you will. It was a trap. It was something to find that they can use against him as he go to his earthly ministry to say that he was not who he said he was. There's something else strange about this text because the text does not tell you exactly where this was. We know it was in Simon the Pharisee's house, but between chapter 6 and chapter 7 you will discover that Jesus is in his Galilean ministry, but there's two cities that he visited. He visited the city of Nan and the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was Jesus' headquarters. That's where he hung out. He and his disciples, that's where he came together to describe to them, yes, the agenda that was set in his earthly ministry. You got to realize now, Jesus now, popularity had arisen to a height that was astronomical. Everywhere he went, people thronged him. They was looking for healing. They was looking for feeding. They were looking for a word from him. They was looking for him to rise up and save them from the tyranny of the Roman government. And so Jesus now is popular. Uh, Simon wanted to know a little bit more about him. He wanted to have an intimacy with him as it relates to knowing who he is, seeing what he has to say, and have something to say against him. I want to tell you something this morning. I'm going to let you in on a secret. You know, everybody that's in your company, everybody that's in your face don't mean they mean you any good. You know, I've been invited places, know that I was invited for an agenda. I still went. I didn't back up. I wanted to see what they had to offer. And you know, there's times in our lives that you're going to encounter people with agendas. Not just in the church, on your job, in your neighborhood. Folk have personal agendas. And the agenda of Simon the Pharisees were to entrap Jesus. But even in the midst of his entrapment, there was curiosity. He wanted to know more about him. And so now he's invited to dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. And as they sat and dined, the Bible tells us 
there was a woman of the city who was a sinner. And the Bible don't tell you a whole lot about her, but when it used the phrase, she was a woman of the city, it tells you that she hung out in the red light district. Do y'all know what the red light district is? And any of you ever been to Germany where, you know, they had this, somebody holding their hand up? The red light district, she was a harlot, if you will. She was a prostitute, if you will. You know, if you go to street lane, go there, call her a skeezer, <laughs> a clucker, a chicken head, all kind of names. Come on now. But she was a woman of ill repute, a woman with a bad reputation. She was not invited to the supper. She showed up uninvited. Now let me explain something to you about this text because Simon the Pharisee, he was a rich man. And in that near Eastern culture, in that day and time, the rich people had houses and the place where they dined was called the courtyard. Yeah, the table was set in the middle of the courtyard and all around the walls were where their bedrooms and their kitchen and different places was, was around the wall. But the courtyard was big as this, just opened up. And then uninvited guests could come in, but they had to stand around the courtyard. And so here we go, this woman of ill repute had heard about Jesus. She wanted to change. She, she, she got sick and tired of the life that she lived and she wanted a release. And so she heard that Jesus was coming to Simon's house and she came where Jesus was and she strategically positioned herself behind him. I, I like this text because I, I preached before and I said, guess who's coming to dinner? <laughs> right behind him. She was curious too. And the Bible said she came weeping. You know, when you want to see true change in a person's life when they come to Christ, you have to see some contrition. It's got, you know, I got a problem when people come up and say, I want to give the Lord my life, and it's just as normal as, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. No, there's got to be some contrition. There's got to be some place in their lives that they need to be filled because there's a void, there's a emptiness. She's in position herself right behind Jesus. And evidently, she leads from the wall of the courtyard in the house and walks up right behind Jesus. Now look at the text, because I want to show you something. Verse 30 says, she stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with the tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now notice, how can she walk behind him and at the same time anoint his feet? 
seemed like your feet would be in front of you. No, that's not the way they ate. The tables were low. If you allow me to indulge, I'll give you an example. And what you would discover, the woman did not come empty-handed. Did you pay attention to that in verse 37? She bought an alabaster box of ointment. And if you do a study on the alabaster box of ointment, it usually be a year wages. Very expensive from Ethiopia that is set for years and begin to get this certain kind of fragrance out of it and it be in this little bitty box, precious box that you can crush and it just she crushed the box of alabaster ointment and it fell on his feet and notice she took her glory her hair and begin to wipe Jesus' feet. There's three things about this woman I want you to understand. First of all, her character. She was a woman again of ill repute. She was a prostitute. She was a harlot. She was a woman who was not out in the daytime but she roamed in the red light district at night. But this is the daytime she's come out to see this Jesus. You know why we come to church? We don't come to church to see the pastor. Some of us do. We don't come to church to see how well the Christ, the choir you sing. We come to church to see Christ. We come to church to see Jesus. We want an experience. I'm going to get out of your way in a little bit. Watch this. Here it is. Her character. Secondly, you see her condition. She's bruised. She's battered. And she's broken. That's her condition. But thirdly, you see something else in the text. You see her courage. She was bold. It takes courage to do what she did. She shows up uninvited, unwelcome, and unwanted. Uninvited, unwelcome, and unwanted. She shows up. And let me tell you something. I don't want to go nowhere. I'm not invited. Amen. I, I said that earlier, you know, there's some churches, I don't care if I go back and preach anymore. It just didn't work too good when I preached that first time. It was DOA when I got there, it was DOA when I left. Dead on arrival. And do you know, there's some dead churches. Well, y'all not dead, I came back again. 
If you was dead the first time, it wouldn't be no second time. Look at this woman. Broken, battered, and bruised. And let me tell you something this morning. I love people like this because there's no phonyism in her. That, that's realness about this woman because she laid everything that she had at Jesus' feet. Man, you got to give the best that you have. Don't, don't have step. When, when, you, when you come before the Lord, give him the best that you have to offer. She gave the best. Listen, I want to tell you, that's probably the most expensive or extravagant thing that she had in her life. But she gave it to Jesus. She brought it to Jesus because she wanted a change in her life. I want to say to us this morning, Macedonia, don't be afraid of change. Every pastor is different. Let me just make that clear. No pastor that take any other pastor's place can fulfill that other pastor's shoes because we're all individuals. We think different. We look different. We act different. There's no comparison. And let me tell you, you can't beat nobody being the best them. You, I'm not trying to preach like nobody. Nobody going to beat me being the best me. Because they're not me. I want to tell you this morning, listen, don't be afraid of change. The world is changing, but churches are still remaining the same. Look, the world is changing. Just look around you. you know, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine another week, and he, he, he was talking about, you know, people coming to the church with tattoos and dreadlocks and all that. You know, earrings everywhere and all, he said. And then he had another group over here that was talking about the new generation, a new group of people. And then he said from the pulpit, he said though, that fellow over there with the tattoos, with the earrings and dreads in his hair, he got more Holy Ghost than you. He, he most, he just is, listen, he just is saved as you are. He's here at Bible study. He's at Sunday school. He has a prayer meeting. He had every service. He's just as saved as you are. The world is changing and the church is trying to remain the same. Don't be afraid to be different. I never tried to be like no much. God told me, man, you, you're growing you. Well, I can't grow it on the head, so I got to grow it somewhere. After 35 years wearing a hard hat, I lost everything up here. So I told my wife, I'm going to be like Stevie Wonder. I'm going to grow the locks on the side and let it come down. <laughs> Not at 108, 4 o'clock lane. Change is inevitable. And if you want to go somewhere, if you want to be somebody, you have to be willing to what? To change. 
I've never been afraid to change. I've never been afraid to, of failure. And I've been an introvert all my life, a little bit different and strange. But I embrace who I am. I don't care who like it, who don't. Because I have to be who I am. I never been, my wife, I've never been afraid to fail. I step out in a minute. And people be talking about, why, why are you doing that? Why I'm doing it? Now it's going to either work or it's not. And if it don't work, we'll try something else. And if at first, that's what my mama said, it don't succeed, try. Let me get out your way. I know what you're waiting on. Try again. Three things about this woman, her character, ill repute, her condition. She was broken, battered, and bruised. But you find her with courage. The Bible even says that we as believers are bold as lions. I love this woman because she didn't care what anybody thought about her. She didn't care what anybody was going to say about her. She wanted to see Jesus. And so here go the church members. Simon the Pharisee got indignant. He got irate. He got beside himself, but he didn't speak out loud. He says, now you know, this is a shame. If this man only knew what type of woman this was who touched him, he can't be a prophet. Because if he was a prophet, guess what? He wouldn't even let this woman get close to him. Well, that was the mindset of the Pharisees. And Jesus one time told me, he said, they that are whole need out a physician, but they that are sick are come not to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. Listen, we, listen, we don't have to worry about who's in the church. We got them already. We got to worry about who's not coming to church. Simon did not want Jesus to have any contact which not, if you go back and you read the inner chapter 6, the inner chapter 6 talks about Jesus was hanging out with sinners and wine bibbers. Yeah, they said he was a wine bibber. He's hanging out with sinners. Hanging out with tax collectors. Those people, we don't want to have anything to do with publicans and stuff. Uh, what kind of prophet that is? No, that's the mentality of some, some folk, not y'all, you know, but some, some. I didn't want y'all to get angry with me. Not y'all. Y'all a good church. But Simon the Pharisees was indignant. He did not want Jesus to have any contact with her, number one, because he says she's a sinner. She's a prostitute. She's a harlot. Secondly, because she was uninvited. And let me tell you something about the invitation. Jesus is a gentleman. That's what the Bible said. Revelation chapter 320. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and come in, I will open the door and he will sup with me and me with him. In other words, we would have a fellowship if he invite me in. I'm not barging in. But I'm asking you to let me in. Jesus did not refused this woman he allowed her to touch him to handle him to love 
on him. Simon didn't like that. He probably wanted her to touch him. You don't know. But whatever the case may be, Jesus understood. And so now, not only do we see the character of this woman, the condition of this woman, and the courage of this woman, but now we see the controversy, all seas, if you will. The church today is in conflict. It's controversial. The church has not reached its full potential because there's too much conflict among the Pharisees and the newcomers. That's what I call, you know, I've met a lot of Pharisees in my day and time. Uh, Self-righteous, religious, basking in religiosity. I met a lot of them in my day and time. And you know what I do when people go to talk? Listen, you ever met anybody as soon as you walk up? Yeah, how you doing? Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Really? I just, it's just, a, I'm doing fine. Just, just, you know, start speaking in tongues and everything right off top. Religious. Religiosity. Basking in religion. Let me tell you something about religion. It's not good. You ever seen on, you know, these applications, they ask you what your religion is? Some people have the nerve to say Baptist. You're not, Baptist is not your religion. You are a Christian. So you put Christianity down. What Christian mean? It means Christ-likeness. And here we go. Here's the controversy. Jesus says it's time to change what you've been doing and let's move to what ought to be done. He's setting a precedent here for purpose. Haven't you ever read the book by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Church? The church is driven by purpose. The Bible even tells us without vision, the people perish. There has to be purpose. What is purpose? Purpose is change. Controversy, controversy, controversy. And here we go. Jesus now sets the precedent. In verse 41, Jesus speaks to Simon. He says to him, Simon, there was a certain guy that had two creditors. One owed 500 pence, the other owed 50 pence. So between 50 and 500, 50, 500 is 10 times 50. And he says, frankly, he forgave them both. Now you tell me which one would love the most. Simon says, the one who owed the most. Look what the text says. Jesus said, you're rightly judged. But in verse 44, this is interesting. He says, and he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman, I entered into thy house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, which is customary. So as he entered into the house, supposed to anoint his head, wash his feet, kiss him as greeting. 
He says, listen, your imitation was phony because I didn't get any of this. He says, watch it. He says, see this woman I entered my house that gave me no water for my feet? But she had washed my feet with the tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Verse 45, thou gavest me no kiss, which is customary. It's like shaking hands when we meet each other. Hey, how you doing? Or a hug or a kiss. You didn't do that. But watch this. But this woman, since the time I came in, had not ceased to kiss not my face, but my feet. Verse 46, my head with all. No more. Thou didst not anoint, but this woman had anointed my feet with ointment. Verse 47 said, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. You know what I'll talk about, the title of this right here? He's already forgotten. What you and I cannot forget. Jesus have already forgotten what Simon the Pharisee refused to forget. And let me tell you something, that's what forgiveness is. That you forgive and you forget. Now let me tell you something right here. Your mind never forget anything. You have a memory up there. So how do you forget a thing? You continue to dismiss it. And as time passes, you get over it. Because listen, I was reading somewhere that we never, the memory never, the brain never forgets anything. It has total recall. And so in this text, we would discover Jesus now sets a precedent. Here's the conclusion. This is where y'all want me to get. Verse 40. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Pay attention to the word saved. Past, present, participle, PPP. That's a grammatical notation, which means simply, that I'm forgiving you now because I have already forgiven you in the past and you will be forgiven in the future. When Jesus says you're forgiven now, you have already been forgiven because the last time I checked in the book of Revelations, chapter 13, round verse 8, he says that he was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Four chapter Ephesians even refers to the fact that he saved us before the world was even created. And so where are we this morning? The conclusion is that Jesus tells the church our job is to provide peace. Now, I know what you're saying. There'll never be no peace in this world. Certainly there'll never be peace in the world, but peace is not in the world. Peace is inside of us. Let, 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 me, let, me, give you, let me give you a little something I'm going to get out of the way. I had a 19, 
69 Newport that had, you know, the push buttons on it. That was my first car. I paid $450. My mother, my mother bought it. I'm going to tell the truth. <laughs> she bought my first old car and my first new truck. Well, I'm, I was a brat. You know how that is. I was, I was rotten. I was spoiled. I ain't going to lie. I was a baby of five. You know, the babies usually had their way. And, you know, I had to grow out of it. But here's the, now my wife will tell you I haven't grown out of it. There she is, she's shaking her head. But here's the kicker. They only had two things on that car, AC and heat. But today's car had what we call climate control. It does not matter how cold it is on the outside, how hot it is on the outside, if it's raining, if it's snowing, that same comfort zone would be on the inside. That's what peace is. It does not matter if the world is burning down around you. Nobody can take your peace because God has already given us peace. The conclusion of the whole matter is that the church is here to provide peace. What is that? A safe haven. What is that? It's a refuge. What is that? This is a place for sick people where they come and get healed. Yeah. One would say where the sin sick soul is healed. And when there's no peace in the church, guess what's happening? There's trouble. And so listen, I'm, I just want to tell you this morning, your job here is to have a peaceful congregation. Somebody said, well, that ain't going to happen. It can happen. You know, there's a whole lot of churches that I don't have anything to do with because there's too much hell going on. I want to come to a church house where I feel loved, where I feel, come on now, consoled, where I feel comfortable. I don't want to be in a place where hell is breaking loose every Sunday. Peace. Let me tell you, I like peace in my home too. I have four kids. Nobody going to come over there and disturb daddy peace. Go back to where you come from. And come back when you have a better attitude. Bring my grandbabies. Bring them over, bring them home. I want peace. My wife, she know, I want peace. Sometimes she don't give me no peace, but I, I want peace. <laughs> I hear that in the hotel later. <laughs> He's trying to get me up, I see him. And so, as I close this morning, I thought about how the old church used to be. Uh, yeah, yeah. I never forget my first church. I had a lot of elderly deaconess and deacons, and they selected them old meetings, you know. And one of my deacons just said, Rep, sing that song for us. 
And I would break out. I love the Lord. He heard my cry. Because he heard my cry. I'm on my way to my seat, but I stopped by to tell you this morning that the Lord saved me. How many of you know that the Lord has the power to save you? You know, I came by this morning to tell you that I'm on my way to glory. But while I'm still on earth, I'm just a nobody and trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. And I stop by to tell you, yes, that one day that Jesus, he died. And you know, I'm glad he died. Because somebody said, if Jesus didn't die, where would you and I be? And someone said, they marched him to the Via Dolorosa to Skull Shape Hill called Calvary. And somebody said, they nailed him to an old wooden cross. Uh, yeah, somebody would say, it was a rugged cross. Somebody would say it was made out of gopher wood. And they nailed him to the cross. And they lifted him between two thieves. 
and the Bible said, Jesus said, in the 12th chapter of the book of John, he talked about it in the 12th chapter in the book of Matthew. He talked about it in Luke. He talked about it in Mark. He said, and if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'm going to draw all men unto me. And I'm so glad. I said, I'm so glad that they lifted him up. I'm so glad that he didn't stay on the cross. They put him in a borrowed tomb. I said the tomb was borrowed. And in three days, he stayed there all evening Friday, all day Saturday. But early day, Sunday morning, somebody said he got up with all power in his hand. Somebody said power to defend, power to destroy, power to deliver, power to lift. I'm so glad this morning that he gave me another chance. How many of you know we got another chance this morning? Just to be here, just to be alive, we got another chance. And as I take my seat this morning, I want to tell Macedonia, you got another chance. You got a chance to get it right. You got a chance to change the dynamic and the structure of this church. You got a chance to touch the community. You got a chance to change lives. I stopped by to tell you this morning, will you do it? Because I found out that we are saved by Jesus. Won't he do it? But will you do it? I say, won't he do it? But will you do it? Yeah, my daddy would grab his ear and say, any oh, any oh, any oh, uh oh, any all right. Yeah, my daddy would say, any all right. Yeah, because I found out that life stands in the balance of the power of an omnipotent God. It stands in the balance of a sovereign God. It stands in the balance of the preeminent God. It stands in the balance of our wonderful Savior. Isaiah says he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's what I want to leave with you. Have peace. Have peace. Have peace in your life. Have peace in your home. And first of all, have peace in the church. I stopped by to tell you this morning that God is in the business of restoring peace. How many of you want peace today? How many believe that you can have peace? How many of you know that you can have peace? Don't fool me now. How many want peace in your life? Peace in your home. Peace on your job. Peace in the church. God bless you this morning. You know, one thing I found out, God wants us to be ourselves. You can't be like anybody else. Listen, I got many ways to preach, but I do what the Spirit say. 
And the Spirit says to me what the psalmist says. I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my supplication. He inclined his ear unto me. And as long as I live, guess what? And trouble rise. What am I going to do? I'm going to hasten to his throne. God bless you this morning. God keep you. A picture of purpose. A picture of purpose. It doesn't matter who come in this building. You embrace them. You love them. You love on them. And you tell them that if God accept you, so do I. Man, if I could just go back and tell you about the regular life I lived before I got saved. Son of a pastor. He died when I was 15. My dad died when I was 15 years old. Guess what I did? Straight to the street. And when I got saved, I had a Saul experience. Nobody believed that this rascal, this vagabond, this crazy dude, except Christ. When I was going to the corner where I used to hang out, they said, well, we got to get away. He lost his mind. Even the first time that I got saved, my mother didn't believe it because I was such a con artist. So she watched me for months and then she realized, oh, he's not playing this time. She really had experience with God. I Listen, I was the kind of fella, every time something happened in the neighborhood, they knocked on my mother's door. Is James home? We need to talk to him. That's the truth. Is James home? We need to talk to him. Because if anything went bad in the neighborhood, James was involved. And so when I got saved, I went to a church that didn't even want me in the church. Because even that church didn't believe that I had changed but you know what I discovered there's an old song that says show and tell is the game I play I showed people better than I could tell them and when the bible talk about the last shall be first and the first shall be last I was at the bottom and God raised me and he kept raising me and he kept raising me through rejection. He kept raising me through being unloved. He kept raising me. He kept raising me. He kept raising me. And what you see today, I'm blessed because God has been not, not anything I've done. I don't get no credit for it. But he did it. And so I discovered when I find people that who is the worst of the worst. God can change them. And when he changed them, they become the best of the best. Like this woman. Those who are forgiven the most, love the most. And I stopped by to tell you this morning, I love the Lord. I love him. Because he's still putting up with me. All the rascals are not gone now. 
every now and then that old man raise up. Oh, come on now. Every one of you in here, that old man and woman raise up every now and then. He ain't gone. He's not dead. You are made of human and you're made of spirit. Paul put it like this. I'm going to let you go. He says, things that I would do, I do not. The things I should do or I do not are the things that I do. And then he says to himself, it's not me, but it's sin that dwelleth me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? This is the seventh chapter, Romans. And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. With the mind I serve God and with the flesh I serve sin. Last time I checked, pinch yourself right there. Come on, pinch yourself, pinch yourself, don't be shy. You still have flesh. And this flesh craves stuff. The only way God communicates with us, he communicates with us through the spirit. And so I'm saying to you, I see it. The heights for Macedonia is unprecedented. But the only way you're going to reach that pinnacle of success, you have to change the way you think. I love T.D. Jakes. He says, change the way you think, you change the way you live. And so life is not in the balance of the abundance of things that we possess. But life is in the balance of what's in the mind and the way we moved. So I want to say to Macedonian while I take my seat, I love all of you. I have a special affinity for this church. Not just because my cousin here, because I feel good when I come here. I feel good when I enter into these doors. And I want to say to you this morning, do not take this church, this pastor, this first lady for granted. He's the most honest fellow I ever met in my life. I'm not saying that because he's my cousin. You don't have to guess what he's thinking. He's going to tell you. He's honest. He's an honest fellow. And what I've come across over the years, a whole bunch of us not honest. We tell you one thing and we do something else. If he tell you something, I can take it to the bank. He's going to do just what he say. Take this man. Love on him. Love on this fellow. And raise him up. And as he get raised up and God raise him up, you raise up with him. Did you hear what I said? You can raise up with him. And let me tell you something about this community. Turn it out as you turn it up. God bless you.